0: This is Radical Learning Talks with Sari Gonzalez and Becca Koritz. So we tend to focus on kids' learning when we think or talk about self-directed ed. But since when does lifelong learning pertain just to kids and their process? In this episode, we chat with Alex Bretas, a Brazilian visionary and leading voice in the Self-Directed Ed movement. We talk about school beliefs, how we learn, why it's generally hard for adults to self-direct the difference between formal and informal studies, and how lifelong learning is truly hacking the system.
1: So, very welcome. Alex Bretas from Brazil. Good, 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 good friend of ours. Um, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited to welcome, have you, Alex. So, um, what we Thank usually, you. yeah, what we usually do, Alex, is we don't really introduce people because we think it's tedious. We prefer people introducing themselves, and then you have control of what you want to say.
2: So, who are you? I'm Alex. I'm 31 years old, and I'm from Minas Gerais, which is a state of Brazil, and. Since I was a child, I I, I see myself as a really active learner, but not the schoolish way of learning. So I went to a really traditional school, uh, a very conservative one, actually. When I was a child, I really wanted to learn about the subjects that interested me and the subjects that were important to me in a way. But the curriculum of the school was, I, I, I did did enough so I can pass on the tests and that was it. And when I grew up a little bit, I started looking at the different perspectives about education and I discovered that there's many ways of doing it and, and, and perceiving it. And then this like strike at me and I wanted to create a a research project around it. What exciting ways people can teach themselves and people can get together to learn. I remember thinking, yeah, so these children can self-direct themselves since like the beginning of their lives. And I didn't get the chance. So I have to start now and be more intentional about that. And maybe I can can do something about it. So I began with this research project. And I call it the informal PhD, which is not a name that I gave to it. It's a name uh, a friend gave it, André Gravata, which is a really awesome Brazilian educator. And he's a good friend, and he was doing that. He was doing his own research, and he called it the informal PhD and
1: I just wanted to say Alex that when I when I first got to know you which is many years ago now you told me about this thing You, you and I remember so clearly the first time you said informal PhD and it just hit me so hard I'm like oh my god tell me more and I feel the same now I'm like oh please dive into this because it's it's amazing. And it's an amazing idea. Just the thought of an informal PhD. I'm like, ooh.
2: You, you captured like the, the, the exact excitement that I had when I first uh, heard uh, about this idea. And and, and and so I took that decision and I created a crowdfunding campaign so I could like get the funds to, to do this research. And I went through a journey of like researching, reading books and talking to people and doing projects and participating in experiences. And I, I was able to write two books about that. One of them is called The Informal PhD, which is available in English, by the way. We have to approach how adults learn, because when an adult person gets into adult life and he or she is, it's like, schooled all life like like he he went through this process of schooling earlier in in his life it's kind of hard to into adult life and like unschool himself like it's not a it's not a process that happens fast you have to have guidance you have to have community you have to have the the resources to do that.
1: Yeah so this is like you're you're covering so many different things that I would like to dive more deeper into like for instance the, the informal phd like could you could you explain what that is so that people get an understanding of it because I was blown away and I realized when we were talking that first time I was like oh my god but I have an informal <laughs> phd oh my god because I was kind of yeah. fulfilling all of those yeah. all of those steps that you kind of um that you have identified so could you tell us a little bit more what is that and why is that important
2: we didn't want it to be a method like a a structured methodology because each one each person is going to create their own methodology so i see it more like a movement a social movement when you get this idea that you are perfectly Able to do your own research and your own investigation project, and it can be in whatever subject you like, whatever uh, knowledge area that you want to dig in more. So it's kind of liberating because you think, oh my god, I I don't I don't have to the specific place to get a really deep education in this subject. I can do it myself. You can structure your own learning as a journey and is a journey of personal of personal discovery around a specific theme or subject that excites you. And you do that like in a really dedicated way, in a really serious way. It's not like a, it's a PhD after all. So it's kind of profound, right? You do that for a period of time. It can be six months, it can be one year. I took like two years, two years and a half to to complete mine. And another characteristic that I think it's important is it, it has to have a, a kind of a deliver. We, we have a, some principles about the informal PhD and one of them is a, it's, it's a deliver that you give to the world, like a, a kind of a, it's kind of a sharing back to the world all the richness that you you captured in this in this project.
0: So can I ask a question? Because this is this was a very new concept for me. Um, and when you when I hear the word PhD or the concept PhD, it feels super schoolish to me, right? Like oh, there's a goal of getting accreditation or um, like what you're saying, like there's, there's a a certain outcome that we, that we strive for, right? Like a certain, I don't know. Yeah. Like an award almost that we're working towards, but an informal PhD is not accredited, right? It's just, it's basically independent studies of a subject that you're super passionate about that you want to dive deeper in into and also share your learnings with the world, right? Is 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 that what, what it is, what you define it to be, or how would you how yeah. would you define that?
2: Yeah, totally. I, I received many questions about that, like this accreditation theme and, and PhD for me in 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 this term informal PhD, it's almost a a serious joke, right? We are, we are playing with the words, we are playing with the words. And, and like when you create like this aggregation between informal and PhD, you are creating something entirely new in my perspective. It doesn't require you to, to be connected to any formal university, college, or academic institution of any kind. You can be, if you want, but it's not like required you do your stuff. I really like to believe that the informal PhD gave me social accreditation. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a, it's accreditation that comes when you share to the world the results and the things that you've done in this journey, right? Because mm-hmm. what is a diploma? What is a certification in, in terms of uh, it kind of proves your journey and your knowledge and what you did in your like in your phd studies in your masters or whatever but there are another ways of proving it of like of, of creating this kind of trust between people i always tell people like uh, if people want to know if alex is like an expert or even at, if he's good enough in this field that he talks about, like education, self-directed learning, and so on. I don't have a diploma to show, but you can read my book, right? <laughs> you yeah. can see the things that I post online that I publish, and my work is pretty open. I have right now, I think, more than six hundred posts in my Medium page. So it's not like for. I'm not saying that to to as a mean of like. A, being better than anyone else. But I think it's important when you get into this informal way of life, <laughs> it's important to share your work, to share what you learn. Because this is the main kind of proof that I got through the years that sustained my my work. Actually, I, I work in, in this field now. This, this, this is what I do. So. I think it's really important to learn how to share what you are discovering.
0: You know it, and it really reminds me a lot of the agile learning model as well. you know, like this that it's not just about let's mindlessly come into a space and each individually pursue our passions and learn different skills, but that that cycle, the cycle of learning, of really setting an intention, of being intentional with with your time and your space, and your resources and your community. And then that that sharing piece at the end, that reflective and sharing piece that it's not like, I'm just learning this to fill my brain with knowledge. I'm learning this because it actually makes sense in in the world. And from an unschooling perspective, I see a lot of, we see a lot of families that struggle with like, well, how do I support my self-directed learner? And you see parents or facilitators see learning as something that only the kids do and that they themselves in the environment are apart from. And I'm really yeah. curious about what your thoughts are on that. Like, why is it hard for adults to see themselves as self-directed learners and to share their learnings with with their kids or with their community? Or, with or their- even
1: looking at their lives as a learning process. Right. Yeah, I, I, this is really...
2: Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. So I really like a Israeli author in democratic education, which is Yaakov Hetch, and he's like a, the, the pioneer of democratic education. Reading his book, which is really nice, by the way, uh, he describes the the democratic school of Hadera in, in in Israel. One of the, the 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 things that he shares there that really that really had an impact on me it was the teachers, like the adults in the community setting, they, they, the most important part of their jobs is to be passionate self-directed learners. Yes. So they do that all the time, yeah? So, uh, and, 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 and children can connect with them. Like you have a teacher and it's not a teacher, like an, an adult that uh, is passionate about photographing, for example. And the most important part of his job is like to, to share the, his passion, to, to do something meaningful with his passion inside the school or connected to the school. And the children can connect. The children can, like, they can connect or they can do whatever they like. I, I think these portraits are really powerful message to children, right? The message is you are able to do the most meaningful learning stuff that you like and, and everyone should do that i think this, this is this is an, uh, an essential part of, of my thoughts around that when i when i think when, when we start doing that as adults and especially when we have children or we have like children around us even not being parents i think it has an interesting effect as well because we get more concerned about our learning and we get more relaxed about the children learning. And I I think you, you, maybe you agree with me in that sense, but one of the main things that adults can do wrong in terms of stimulating the self-directed way of, of children learning is like they, intervene a lot they 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 try to do a lot like like they try to help a lot so i think when you as an as an adult you start looking seriously about your own learning journeys and you have a chance to structure that and to approach that in a in a meaningful way i think it has this side effect of you getting out of the way of children in a way
1: Yeah, I, I like. There's so many thoughts that pop up in my head right now, Alex. Like, on one hand, I was again thinking about the informal PhD and how I can hear adults say, "But if you don't get a formal." Um, accreditation for it then what's it worth what's the point what's the point if you don't get like a formal paper saying that this is what you know and I think that this this
2: might this might be the most schoolish (laughs) thought at at all times (laughs)
1: yes because because when I when I hear you talk about it it's like it's so clear that the value lies in the journey in the process and and then that like all this learning that takes place and that we can become experts and it is the sharing with the world of our knowledge that makes us the expert not the paper that says that we are and that then that brings me into how hard it is for for adults to actually start self-directing. And I know that you work with a lot of adults, and I would love you to share a little bit about what you see. What is it that makes it so hard for adults to, to start learning on their own? What is in the way?
2: I think that uh, the first thing is the mindset. And I, I think we 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 talked about that here already. Like, this is cool mindset that uh, learning stops when you graduate or when you do all the academic stuff. And when you get into the work life, it's done, right? Maybe people have a, a unconsciousness, like uh, it's unconscious for many people because rationally they think about lifelong learning and the importance of learning continuously through life. But in practice, in real life, they don't like they, they don't organize themselves, they don't plan for that they, they are not intentional about that. so you, you have this uh, idealistic mindset, but when it comes to practice, it's totally different. so one, one thing is mindset one thing w- which is pretty it, it, it's, it's hard to, to to say that, but I think it happens a lot of time. It's like people don't have enough time, or at least they think they, they, they don't have enough time to do that. They are not intentional in terms of their routines, right? Mm-hmm. So they are always working, taking care of other people, taking care of children, doing whatever stuff they they, they think is important. And they don't stop for taking care of themselves and, and, and taking their learning seriously. So I think time is a really is really an issue here, so I think it's not a, a it's not that they don't they don't have the time but they have a perception that they don't have it so they have to learn how to m- manipulate their routines in order to put a priority into these learning processes so time is a, i think it's a really It's a really hard stuff as well. And the third one, I think this is the lack of community because people are rushing into their lives. People are like, like, like I said, like they have, like they are uh, doing many, many things at the same time and they are struggling with that and they feel lonely and they don't have like the, 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 the right, uh, the right kind of friendship or the, the right kind of community setting so they can feel uh, accompanied i don't i don't know if in english this verb is right but mm-hmm. they, do, they don't feel accompanied in in these in this journey so they lost their motivation right so mm-hmm. this is it is really important for me because i'm working for four to five years right now with learning communities, self-directed learning communities for adults. And it's really powerful what these communities can do, right? We have a an online community right now, which is called MOL. MOL is a, a acronym for Masters of Learning. In MOL, I, I, I mean, it's really profound, like the, the transformation that people went through when they get into this community because when they, they started, they feel like, oh, I can't do it by myself. I can't share my learnings. I can't, uh, I don't have the time to do it. I cannot prioritize these. Like many can't, like many things that they can't do. And when they get into the community and they get one month, two months, three months, like living it, uh, they feel that it's possible and they see that other people are doing it. And this is a, a phenomenon that I, I really like to, to think about, it's, which is a kind of a community braveness, mm-hmm. a community courage that strikes when you get into this kind of place and you look at one side and people are doing it and you look to the other side and people are doing it. So the, the normal thing to do is like, oh, okay, I can do that as well. And I love as well. hearing
0: this, Alex, because it's it, refreshing to hear this because it reaffirms our vision. Like here at Explora, we, we have this vision that it's not just a learning space for kids, that the adults in the space come and share their passions and explore and that we can all learn together. And it's so incredible how many parents are like, yeah, I really want that but then they come and they do
1: not participate. It's like they don't have time, they have other things to do. All of the things that you just said. Yeah, and I haven't even had the energy to try to figure out how to make them understand how extremely valuable it is. But I want to I wanna
0: share something that, because you have another book, it's called Schooling Beliefs, and I think it speaks to a lot of the reasons of why it's so challenging for us adults to self-direct and to even see our learning differently. It's easier to to understand that kids learn all the time, but for us, no, like that, that, it's different. And so if I can quote you here, because I would love for the world to hear this part, because it really was like very mind-blowing for me. It said, you said, when we start being aware of our learning process, we can deliberately and intentionally change our behavior. Freedom turns into autonomy and thus breaking this loop becomes more possible and real one day at a time. I just got like goosebumps reading that because I feel like what's so clear to me is that we need as a society to be more in touch with how we learn and begin to unlearn the ways that we think
1: we learn, which is what you speak about in schooling beliefs. And I think also like valuing, like putting value to to more learning, that it doesn't stop, that it is a lifelong process. Because like, I, I, sometimes I feel almost like I can't breathe when I think about like, oh, so you just learn when you're a kid and then when you're an adult, you stop. And how it is limiting for us adults to look at life as something that is apart from learning because learning happens all through our lives. Yeah. And, and for me, that's what de-schooling is, <laughs> you know, like yes, unlearning yes, all the perfect. things
0: that we've been programmed to think about how and why. And, you know, as you were speaking, Alex, like what you said, like, Oh, you know, people, they don't have time or they say they can't. I mean, if I had a penny for every single time somebody said, well, I really want to, but I can't because yeah. I don't have time and it's kind of like well when do we get to actually start living the lives that
1: we want to live and do we need somebody's permission to do that and so of course I mean you've been working you've been working with so many adults and I'm wondering like what is it that you see that we need to unlearn what is it that we need to shift in order to actually become self-directed and live the lives we want to
2: Many, many things. And <laughs> I, I, actually, I, I'm finishing uh, a text about that. And I, I want to translate it to English as well, which is called like the, the 25 behavior patterns of really effective self-directed learners. Yes. And so there, are, there is a lot of stuff happening when you see a self-directed learner, which is really serious about his practice. And he, which is really intentional, right? There are many skills to be learned. But one thing that I, I it's really alive for me right now. And when, when, when Sari was saying, I was thinking about that. It's like, there is a, a more subtle uh, aspect of, of, of the perception that usually the adults have about learning. And we have all of this that we were saying, the lack of time and the lack of like capacity to do that and community and so on. But we have another thing as well, which is, is like, and I see it's, I see it like everywhere, which is adult people, they believe that learning is only important for their professional life. Oh God. They yeah. associate learning with professional life all the time. And when, this is the, the main thing that I say in my lectures, my speeches when I approach companies, because people, people hire me to, to tell their, their employees that it's important for them to be lifelong learners and to never stop learning because it's important for their productive life and so on. And when I, I, I talk with the HR departments in, in companies about that, I agree with that. I, I don't have any doubt about that. It's important to 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 keep learning for, because uh, otherwise, machine will get our jobs, and uh, the the change in the world is really huge and is happening uh, really fast. And so on. These are valid arguments, but there is another part of the of the equation that we are not seeing it, which is seeing. Approaching your life and including your personal life as a way of transforming yourself, as a way of like contemplating life. And when I talk about learning, I, I really like the word. The word uh, I don't know in English if it it will get it right, but it, enchant, enchantment,
1: enchantment, mm, yeah, like enchantment,
2: right? Like this this feeling of uh, fascination about the life, right? Yaakov Hatch, the, the Israel Israeli author, talks about that a lot. So the, the process of learning, it's not an instrumental one. It's not a mechanical one. It's a way of approaching life in which you can be fascinated with life. And this is the highest value of learning that you can get in your life. Like when you, you, you learn to see life as a fascinating, phenomena happening right in in front of you and you you get the chance to contemplate it in this lens, in this framework. When you do that, yeah, you are a lifelong learner and nothing can stop you. So it's a kind of a, how do you frame learning in your life? Mm -hmm. So it it can be really valuable to your professional life. No no doubts about that. But we are missing the main the main stuff for yeah. you.
0: And I mean, I think it's just interesting that there is even a difference between a professional life and the rest of our lives. <laughs> like that in and yeah. of itself is something that we need to question and change, right? Like why do sure. you compartmentalize yourself so much that you have the working sadi and the mom sadi and the Friends, friend Sari and, and the learning <laughs> and, and And then I think because we're used to that, because that's why, Oh, I, I would love to get into 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 this question which is like this is very political right like the work that we that yeah. you do that we do it it's we it's about learning but it is about politics it is about the the programmings it is about capitalism it is about all of those things right because we are unlearning and relearning and so, If I may switch a little bit to this, like, why do you feel that self-directed, or do you agree even that self-directed learning is political and that we need to start thinking about how to become more whole beings instead of these compartmentalized beings? I totally
2: agree with that. And yeah, uh, it's kind of logical to to see what happens with adults that get, that approach their lives in in a really compartmentalized way. Because when you look into the schooling process, it's like biology and chemistry and math, and like the schooling life is structured around that. So it's really natural to think that adults get and approach their lives in this way. But it's not only that because and, and I think in the Schooling Beliefs book, I I think I talk a little bit about that in some of the beliefs, which is uh, when we get into the, uh, when, when we get like most of our child and, and adolescent life in the traditional school, we get used to a compulsory way of like getting into stuff. So we unlearn to think for, the, for ourselves in terms of what are our interests and what are our needs and what are our desires to learn. And when we unlearn that, it's hard to get it back, right? It, you have to kind of, uh, it's like a muscle and you have to exercise this muscle so it can grow and you can be healthy because it's kind of a uh, it's weak right now for most adults it's uh, this learning muscle this self-directed learning muscle is really weakened so yeah and, and it, this happens a lot in the in the mall community especially with newcomers they come they start their journeys and when we ask them like yeah so what do you want to learn so what are your passions and what are you Wanting to explore, and people they freeze in this moment, and they don't know like they. So because of that, we have a a thing like a a kind of structure in our process, which is the exploration phase. So we have a moment like a a kind of one month, two months, and or maybe more than that, which are which is a period like for people to discover what they want to do with their time what with what they want to be intentional about so and this is really powerful for many people so but, but getting back to the, the the political stuff I think when you unlearn this muscle and and, and you unlearn this ability to be with yourself and and, and see what what are you passionate what are your? Um, topics of fascination and so on you get used to agreeing and being obedient to whatever people want to throw on you so this is this is because this is why we we get these companies that are really hierarchical and and leaders that uh, behave like bosses and like obligating people to do stuff. And people are like many, many people, most of the people that I talk about that work in big companies right now, they are unsatisfied with their working life. And if if they thought that it's it would be possible, they would do something about that, but they even think that it's possible. So they keep in this toxic environment
1: so, so what I hear you say, Alex, is that on one hand, this uh, like self-direction really, um, what it does is triggers like uh, critical thinking, but like one of the outcomes is empowerment.
2: Yeah, perfect. Mm. When we get intentional about your learning, it's a way of getting intentional with your life. Yeah. I think it's a, a shortcut that you can get. like (laughs)
0: reclaiming your
2: life yeah yeah because if you have a dream like dream may be a silly way of putting it but if you have something that you want to achieve or a specific way of living that you want to be consistent with if you have like these kind of desires for your life and most of us have it you will have to learn how to be self-directed there's no there's no other path.
1: Sorry, this is super interesting for me, Alex. Yeah. Uh, because like, what, what is it then that people can do? Like, what is it that they need to change in themselves in order to start self-directing?
2: I think maybe the the, the first step is to begin asking, like, what what is important for me? I, I, maybe it's it, for, for you guys, like, you are really into this theme, and I know that you are discussing that in, in depth. But... For many people, this is not a, this is not a question they make, right? What is really important for me? And what do I want to be intentional about? and what are, what are my priorities? and how can I really make that stick in my life? So yeah, you, I have to take care of my children, I have to take care of my parents, I have to work. okay but what is the, the, what is the small step that you can take right now? Because this is another limiting mindset as well. And I think it, 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 it's another answer for your question. When I, I hear people about that and, and when they are starting approaching like the, the self-directed learning for themselves, is they think that they must do a huge step. Like they, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to plan a three-year journey and I'm going to deliver like, the most awesome result for the world. And so... No, you, you have to start small. You have to think, okay, so like the the, the the agile learning cycle again, right? You have to set a small intention, and then you have to execute it and reflect and share it, and then you start again. And the, the process is going to be like an accumulation of these small steps. And then when you get it, like when you do this process over and over again, you're going to build your muscle you're gonna build your learning habits your learning routines and then you get you you get much easier and then you can think like okay now, now i'm gonna try to accomplish something more complex more profound
1: so yeah i love how you talk about building the muscle because in my experience that's exactly what it is and i know for certain that in my personal life um in the beginning, my dreams, they were so big that I didn't even dare go for them. Like I didn't dare because I was like, this is impossible. And then little by little, it's frightening frightening because it's like, you can fail, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I started breaking it down into small steps. And that has been my experience these last 20 years. It's been like, just put one foot ahead of the other. Like, just do the next thing that I can do. And I don't need to see the whole way. I don't need to know the answers. I just take one step. And what is fascinating with that experience is that suddenly the path kind of builds underneath your feet. And you don't. You could never have yeah. made it up. It just happens while doing it.
2: Yeah, but you have to take the first step, right? Yeah. And then... The path is going to be created and yeah th- this is is really a powerful message i think another aspect of these skills or maybe muscles that we are we have to develop in order to to be a, an effective self-directed learner is like you have to believe that there are there is something to be learned and you don't have all the answers you you, you have to be humble right and it's kind of interesting and kind of curious because the most powerful and awesome self-directed learners that I know and people that really mastered some kind of subject, some kind of knowledge area and have really powerful skills, they are at the same time, the more, the most humble people that I know. So we have this kind of a weird balance, but it's, it totally makes sense right because the person really got it like in, in depth like its the, their knowledge is profound their experience is profound but at the same time they are really humble people mm-hmm. and this mentality of like being a master and at the same time being a learner this is a, a, an aspect that we we must we must learn in order to do that as well
0: And I think it's probably a lot easier to be humble when you approach learning from that lens that you just spoke about, like seeing life as a a grand phenomenon, right? That you're a part of and that we are privileged to experience, you know, versus something that just happens or like take it for granted. Or something that we can control. Yeah. 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 I would love... Alex, to talk about neurodiversity a little bit and and how you you see, um, I don't know if you've worked with, I'm sure you have (laughs) neurodivergent learners, both kids and adults. Um, But a lot of times we get this question like, well, is self-directed learning for everyone? Like, what if you're neurodiverse? Like, does it work for neurodiverse kids Um, or vice versa? Like it only works for neurodiverse kids. Um, or humans. And I would love your thoughts on
2: that. Yeah, I mean, in the mall community, we have some people that are neurodiverse. And for me, it totally works for them because each one of, of, of them, they create their own paths. And I, I don't have a say in terms of you, sh- you, you should go that way, so you should go this way. So people are free, but at the same time they are in community. And one aspect that I think really responds to this neurodiversity issue is in mall we have a really strong culture of appreciation. Mm -hmm. So we we don't like it's not in my not my my call to like to, to criticize a work of a person, maybe if he or she asks for it, maybe he can ask for feedback. Okay, so I can offer feedback and I can say my opinions about that. But the pattern, like the, the, the things that the, the thing that occurs more frequently, it's appreciation, right? We have this habit, this collective habit of appreciation. Each one of us, and it's not like appreciation, appreciating like the when someone does an like a, a, a exquisite, exquisite work, like a, a, an excellent work or something like that. It's appreciating this small stuff. It's like appreciating how you made me feel with that saying. Appreciating how you like you this phrase that you just put it here in your text it really spoke to me and i'm grateful of that because of that so being grateful and being appreciative with all people and all stuff that we have in our community i think really helps people being authentic and it helps the neurodiverse people as well because they know they are in a safe space they know that they they, mm. they don't have to be in a certain way. They don't have to look normal or whatever normal is. Mm. They can be whatever they like. They can they can be comfortable in this in this space, and they're gonna be accepted in this way of being.
1: Beautiful. This it, on one hand it really it really makes me think about Explora and how we've been working on our team, because it has been a lot of that, like a culture of of trust, of authenticity, and that comes from some kind of radical self-acceptance with a lot of appreciation, uh, where we highlight um, all the things that we we like and appreciate about one another, which makes it so much easier to just be ourselves. And, and that I think has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. And I don't know if you have anything to say around emotional intelligence and the importance uh, about that
2: yeah I, I think that it has a, a really strong relation with which the work we're doing in in our community and because once again we get into these habits this the social habits that we have right and criticism is a social habit like people think that if they criticize someone they're gonna look superior they're gonna look like oh yeah so I know something and I'm sharing it because I care with this person and I care about the work. But it it doesn't work that way, actually, because there are studies, there are scientific studies out there that points out to the amount of blood that comes to your brain when you get a criticism and when you get an appreciation. And when you are in an appreciation state, like we can say that, it's more blood flows into your brain so you literally think mm-hmm. better but this is a a quote for from the nancy klein's book uh, nancy klein has an approach which is called the thinking environment which is pretty cool by the way and he was like uh she, she was uh, collecting these studies and seeing what happens in our brains when we get appreciated and we get like criticized yeah, so I think when it comes to emotional intelligence, we have to unlearn this kind of a social pattern that we have. And we have to look for consent. We have to look for appreciation. Maybe if I have an opinion about Becca's work and I want to share it with her, and I think it maybe maybe it can be a sensible opinion, I have to ask her first. Mm-hmm. I don't have I, I don't have a, a right to like getting to say whatever I, I think about what she does in her life or at her her work. So it's kind of, we have these social habits and we have to unlearn it. Uh, Criticism is one of them. And we have to learn appreciation, because we don't know how to do that. Like as a society, we have to learn that. Uh, And I think the the kind of, uh, the kind of collective rituals that we have in agile learning centers, that we have in the mall community and in and in, in, in many, many, many learning spaces which they, which functions as a as a self-directed space, these rituals really helps us to to unlearn the criticism and learn the appreciation mode. So yeah, and this is a matter of in, emotional intelligence. Because maybe you have an opinion and you you have this internal rush like in terms of I wanna say it. I, I, I really wanna say it. Like I, I what why can I can I what can't I say it? Because yeah, you, you have to ask for consent first. Mm-hmm. And and you have to 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 see yourself as an emotional being and be conscious about your what is happening inside of you. Like okay, I have a rush of saying this to that person, but would it be really helpful right now? And why
0: do be, I even want to like, do that? Like, is it about them or is it yes, really
2: about me? Yeah. Yes. This is this is a really awesome question, Sari. Like, is it about me or is it about them, right? And yeah, when you when you begin to get aware of what is happening in your body and you learn how to regulate it, it's not I I don't think of controlling it, but maybe like regulating it and, and, and being more aware of what is happening in your, in your body. I think it gets easier for you to get into the appreciation more, to be more intentional. Again, the, the, the intentionality, you mm-hmm. be more intentional about what kind of emotional you want to create for other people and for yourself.
1: Oh my God, I was just thinking about that when you were when you were speaking now, Alex, that I feel that we live in a society and in a time that is not very kind. And so to be kind intentionally and to be generous intentionally, I hardly ever see it. Mm -hmm. And it's really liberating to hear how you're talking about this, because it is about being intentional and we always have a choice.
0: It's I mean, when you think about it, it's so radical and revolutionary at the same time, because what we're saying is it's like that idea of we're against each other or, you know, big, you know, what is it, big big fish eat little fish. <laughs> I don't know, but there's some saying about like big dog eat small dog. I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like we're in competition all the time. It's yeah. like breaking that. Yeah molds of thinking and just being like hey we're humans learning on this planet like what you what you learning i want to know what you're learning what are you into um it's exciting it's so exciting alex so grateful for your work and for sharing for you sharing this time with us is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it up
2: no i'm really grateful as well for the invitation thank you it was really awesome to talk with you guys and yeah i think we have A lot to do together. And I think this talk, maybe it inspires many, many people to join us in this, in this work because we have many things to do.
0: And where can people find your, your particular work, your books and your community? Yeah, I
2: have a website, which is alexbretas.com and it's in Portuguese, but you can use the Google translation and it works pretty well. It has a page in the menu which is the link for my books and there are two books that are available in english the schooling beliefs that you quoted before and the informal phd which is already in in english as well so if you go to the books session you can find all this stuff to download it and then you have the, the pdfs and I have my my social networks as well. In Instagram, I am alexbertas 11 And on LinkedIn, I have a, a profile as well. And I really like to post content and to to create and to share my reflections about all these subjects that we were talking about. So if people are curious about what can I, if I can add more reflections about that, they can follow me on social media and I post like, very frequently about that
1: thank you so much alex it's been such a pleasure having you and thank you for being a pioneer too in yeah.
0: this liberation journey because i think that's why we're all doing it right just want to be free yeah.
1: thank you Alex. thank you guys we often hear parents say that they treat their kids like adults and believe us we've done it ourselves but why do we do that And should we, really? In the next episode of Radical Learning Talks, we talk about the pitfalls of treating kids like adults. Stay tuned.